We'll be reading today from Mark 10, verses 35 through 45. And you can find that on the Pew Bible on page 846. Mark 10, 35 through 45. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Brad. I really just had one thought while Russ was giving his testimony. Just stay up there and keep preaching. Like, yeah, I... Yeah, that... That should commun- that communicates so well the heart of deacon ministry. Russ, thank you. Um, I love what you said. A healthy Christian is always growing, and at least over time, right? I mean, we, we're like the market, right? But hopefully, we, eventually, we go like that, and we keep moving further up and further in learning fresh things from the Bible, acquiring more wisdom, retraining habits, forgiving those who sin against us, living by faith. Living by faith at 22 feels very different than living by faith at 72 or 82. Never assuming we've arrived. I love that. We, 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 we never come to a place as disciples where we're like, man, I, I got this Christian discipleship thing locked in, man. I am killing it. Like, if you're feeling that way, the altar is open. <laughs> like, and the same is true of church. Ever since the Protestant Reformation, the church has adopted this idea always reforming, always growing, always submitting ourselves to the clear teaching of God's Word, growing as a church. 
So it's been really encouraging to me that our deacon ministry is, is really just rediscovering a simple model of deacon ministry, which Russ, I think, beautifully described. Deacons are servants and workers and helpers and peacemakers. And we talked yesterday at our deacon retreat, which is tied to this kind of the whole weekend event for us as, as deacons um, in training and coming on and and working this year. We talked yesterday at the deacons retreat about how our deacons and our and their wives can continue to get better at member care. Delivering meals to those who are sick, making hospital visits, phone calls, writing notes, caring for shut-ins and widows, ministering to grieving hearts, people who have lost loved ones. Some of you in this service right here have been ministered to in the midst of grief by your own church family, especially deacons and their, uh, their wives. And it has meant a lot to you. That's the way it should go. We also talked yesterday about how in Acts, in Acts chapter 6, the prototype deacons uh, were peacemakers and how they brokered not only care for the physical well-being of those who are being neglected in the daily distribution, but how they cared about the spiritual well-being and about how they promoted peace and unity in the church. So, as we commission 2023 deacons, as we commission and encourage and strengthen and pray for John Aldridge, Jeff Baylor, Nathaniel Bennett, Daniel Brown, Chris Church, Roy, Russ, and Ron, you can just the three R's. We got something going there, right? Uh, Neil Holthauser, Pete Lampman, Jay Sublett, and W.C. Wilkerson. As we um, commission, encourage, strengthen these men to serve the church and their, their wives to serve along with them, let's look to the ultimate deacon, Jesus. That's that's where we're headed this morning. So if you've got your Bible out, keep it out. Mark chapter 10. Have you ever thought of Jesus as the deacon, like the true, ultimate, perfect deacon? That's actually kind of liberating if you're a deacon. You don't have to be Jesus the deacon. Jesus is the greatest of all table waiters, servants, peacemakers, and he yeah, so, so we, we look at chapter 10, verse 45, and let me show you what I mean. Why are, you, why are you calling Jesus a deacon? Jesus wasn't a deacon. Jesus was the Son of God. And look at this, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to receive the ministry of a deacon, to be served, but to deacon. The verb form of deacon is right there to serve. It's just hidden. It's in, we have it in English, but in the original language, it is to deacon, to serve, to give of himself. Some translations have minister. If you have the ASV, you probably see the word minister, to minister there. Serve, minister, help. Those are all good translations of that word. Most of you have serve there probably. So the text here on the slide, if we can go to that first, uh, just to highlight that. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. You can see the deacon language embedded 
in the parentheses there. Jesus is not describing the office of deacon in this context, so we want to be careful to say that, but he is the ultimate servant, and he is definitely talking about the essence of all Christian leadership. We see that in the context. The essence of all Christian leadership in Christian ministry, pastors, deacons, church leaders, uh, parachurch leaders, it's, you know, whoever, whoever's ministering, working, serving under the title of Christian, like Christian ministry. Jesus is talking about the essence of all Christian leadership. And he's saying in verse 45 that his own life and death and resurrection his gospel defines that leadership, resources that leadership. Like the only way that anybody could really be an apostle or a disciple, and, and we're going to see that here in the context, is if they in fact know him and trust in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the gospel itself is the only resource when Jesus says to serve and give his life here, he's talking about two distinct things in verse 45. He's not saying he's going to serve by giving his life on the cross. As some might read it that way. If you wanted to sort of minimize our responsibility to serve physically, you would take that reading. Jesus served us by dying. That's not what I think the text intends, and I don't think that's what Jesus intends. I think Jesus is saying two distinct things. The Son of Man came to serve, to meet the needs of people, to heal them, to touch them, to bless them. And then this massive exclamation point at the end of his life that that service has meaning is that he gives his life as a ransom for many, a sacrifice. And the cross mysteriously then works backwards and ties everything together that Jesus had been doing. And then it works forward to us as we look back on what he did and then ties everything together. Why would we even, why would Russ Delaney take his time off of his calendar and his, away from his family to serve a church? Like, why would you do that? Because the gospel does that inside of us because we are indebted to God's grace and because we've been resourced, like we've been, God has taken over our lives through Christ and so we want to do the very same thing he did, which is to give his life away. Let me make two simple observations about deacon ministry coming out of this passage. And we're going to back up to verse 35 to start. Number one, deacon ministry is not about recognition, power, position, or greatness. Whatever deacon ministry is, it's not about those things. Look at verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want, we want you to do something for us. He said, well, this is, so, this is what Jesus said. Jesus, Jesus sees where this is going. He has to see where this is going. But he lets it play out. Don't you love that about Jesus? He will let you ask your question. What do you want me to do for you? He wants to hear them voice it. 
John and I think we're the best two to sit, one on the right and one on the left. Or if James said it, James and I. Uh, or if John said it, James and I. Now you and I, when we read that, we're like, what kind of stupid audacity did they have? But just like, let's, let it, let's see what's happening here. Would you grant to sit, one at your left hand, one at your right hand, in your glory? There's some kind of ambition going on here. There's some kind of wanting something they should not have going on here. Sharing in Jesus' greatness. Verse 38, Jesus says, you really don't know what you're asking. Now look at this. Look down at verse 39. No, we really think we do. They double down. Yeah, I would have never done that. Can you say that this morning? I wouldn't have been that stupid as a disciple. How did they not get it? Three times at this point in Mark's gospel, Jesus has said, I'm going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man is going to suffer. He's going to die, and He's going to rise again. Three times. In fact, if you back up to verses 32 through 34, you'll see that's the third time it's been mentioned. So right here in this context, coming out of this, and you just got to wonder, wait, John, James and John, what are, are you just not listening well? And that's entirely possible. They were not listening well. I mean, that may be one of the reasons. Because Jesus is, they're on the way to Jerusalem. He's been saying we're going to go to Jerusalem. So maybe on the way to Jerusalem, they start dreaming about it. They're like dreaming about the kingdom coming in. And while they're dreaming about the kingdom coming in, Jesus is saying, I'm going to suffer and die and rise. And they just don't hear it. That's entirely possible. Second option, maybe they think Jesus is speaking in parables again. He speaks in parables. He didn't teach them anything without speaking in parables. He talks about parables all the time. This is probably a parable. That's what it is. It's a parable, and we're going to get to the glory part. You know what? We're going to race ahead to the glory part. Can we sit? Is it okay if John and I get in on that? Right hand, left hand? I don't know what they're thinking. We don't know for sure. But clearly they have kingdom ambition that is distorted, and Jesus is trying to make a really important point about this. Let me uh, pause here and say, depending on your church background and your personal experience, you might be suspicious of church leaders. Maybe that makes sense because of your experience. You'd be suspicious of pastors, suspicious of deacons, Maybe there's good reason for you to have, you've been, maybe you were burned. Maybe you've seen people abuse the position of deacon with worldly ambition or abuse the position of pastor with worldly ambition or any other church leader context, like to get their own way, to run the church, to push an agenda, to oppose pastoral leadership, to guard the good old boy network. I mean, there's all sorts of things that are broken about deacon ministry and deacon world in, in this world, Right? So don't be surprised by that. But that's not Christian service. It's never been Christian service. That's not Jesus' deacon ministry. 
that he has in mind. That's why it's so important for us to, to kind of settle in on this. Jesus is the greatest deacon of all. Jesus is the one who can redeem broken deacons and redeem the people whose lives have been broken even by leadership that perhaps hurt them or harmed them or pastors in the same way. So we would point you to Jesus, not to any perfect Christian leader. There are zero perfect Christian leaders. There's one, Jesus, the deacon. Look at verse 41. As we make the transition to the second point, before we go to the second point, look at verse 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. They betray their own shallowness in their response. Because James and John got in line in front of them. Kind of wish I had asked first. They're probably not as righteously indignant. Indignant's a strong word in the English translations. Indignant means they were hot. They were ticked. They were really not like in a good place with James and John. They, they, they are fired up about it. And, and I think what, what's happening here is Mark wants to account for us that, that it wasn't just James and John that don't know how to do this. The others, the 10 who, they're, they think they're righteously indignant. They're probably not righteously indignant. So that's why verse 42 says, and this is the second point, That's how verse 42 says, and Jesus called all of them together to him. We read this to be the, the group, not James and John as a corrective. But the whole group of disciples as an instructive, defining moment in the life of the church that's being established. Jesus is going to build his church. How's he going to build his church? What's it going to look like? Well, here's how. You know, Jesus says to all of them, that those who are considered leaders or rulers of the Gentiles, the world, the world's rulers, they, look, they do this. They lord it over them. They just tell them what to do. They just drive right over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. So you have both, maybe the proper exercise of authority is entrusted to them, but they go way beyond that and they lord it over them is what he's talking about. That shall not be so among you. Verse 43, if you want to be great, you must be a servant. And then he kind of intensifies it. Whoever would be first, right, because there's a first, right, these guys got in line in front of us. Like James and John, they always run to the front. Whoever's going to be first, Jesus says, should be like a bondservant, like a slave. So not just a a servant, not just a table waiter, not just a helper, but somebody who is assigned a permanent status of servant, slave, employee, never to be anything more than that role. Jesus says, if you want to be first, and by the way, you can tie, tie that back to verse 31, just sort of drop back over to verse 31 in the same chapter. Those who will be first, right, first and last, 
Many who are first will be last and the last shall be first. Jesus loves to talk about this. Get yourself to the back of the line if you want to understand who I am. For even the Son of Man, and this is the exclamation point, this is the the crescendo, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The second point is that deacon ministry is about giving yourself away. It's about giving yourself away in simple acts of service and ministry and creating moments where you're like, wait, that something needs to be done over there. We need to go minister to them. We just need to go do it. We need to go act on it. Deacon ministry is not about gathering to meet, gathering to make decisions, gathering to deliberate issues. It's about serving. It's about discovering needs and meeting those needs and giving yourself away. That's what Jesus models for us. For the sake of the gospel, he called them in close, verse 42. He said, this is not the way of the world, what I'm about to tell you. Verse 43, but this is how we do it. This is how we do it. We give ourselves away in service. And it's all grounded in the gospel. So we follow Christ, who is the great ultimate deacon. That's the distinct service aspect in verse 45. And we also let his death, his crucifixion, his resurrection resource us, empower us, strengthen us. Because there are times, there are going to be times when in deacon ministry you do something and you're not recognized for it. There might even be a misunderstanding that flows out of your work. Are you with me? Can I get a witness? There might even be at some point a misunderstanding that flows out of the work that you did that was rightly motivated and rightly intended, and then all of a sudden there's something going around the church. You know what you need right then? You need the cross. You, you, you need to take your miss. One of my favorite thoughts about Jesus is that he was constantly misunderstood. But it didn't affect his relationship with the Father. So when you serve this year, and any other who, all the, all the other deacons who are in here who will be serving in 2023 just kind of Slip up your hand for me. You're a 2023 deacon serving. Okay, good. And, and, and when you serve this year, just plan for it. Plan to be misunderstood. Plan to not be recognized. And then plan to meet Jesus at the cross. And remind yourself that I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Jesus was misunderstood. Jesus was misunderstood. It's okay. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the spirit of service. Give yourself away. The early church uh, held on to these words. I think you can make a pretty strong case for verse 45 being um, something that the early church really hung on to. First of all, it's in Mark's gospel. Mark thought it was really decisive and a defining moment, right? So Mark 
Mark weaves it into his gospel at just the right place under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. So it's a defining moment in the gospel, right? And, and then if you start backing up and you look at the whole New Testament, the servant motif in the New Testament coming out of some of the great servant motifs in the Old Testament is rich. I mean, it's just over and over again, servant, servant, servant. And that's why in Philippians 2, Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not cling to that, but made himself, took the form of a what? Servant. It's just all over the Bible, all over the New Testament. Long before Acts chapter 6 happens, when the prototype deacons are selected, this idea of servanthood has just been woven uh, deeply, in, stitched deeply into the book of Acts. Like even before you get to Acts 6, you got in Acts chapter 2, the, whole, the, the church, the people of God are just, they're selling their stuff. They're sharing everything, food, possessions, land, just all their stuff. You get to chapter 4, and they're selling real estate and holdings to provide for those who are in need because this serving one another thing is so deep in the church. So today, we're going to follow the example of the early church and set aside a particular group of leaders to model Christian ministry. Every disciple should be a minister and a servant. Do you agree with that? Every disciple is a servant. Every disciple is a minister. And yet, we want to follow the example of the early church to set aside a particular group of leaders to model, to inspire, to encourage, to meet needs, and to live out the gospel of Jesus, to give ourselves away.